0: the place where we are embraced and understood, the place where we are loved unconditionally, the place where we know that we belong. I want to talk to you this morning about a young man who forgot the importance of home. His name is, well, we call him the prodigal son, and uh, this Sunday and the Sunday after, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. It's a story that Jesus told to help us understand the love of our Heavenly Father. This morning, I pray that you'd open your hearts up to, to hear what God has to say specifically to you. Because so often when we hear the prodigal son, we think it's only for those who don't know God, for those who maybe um, maybe are backslidden. But I would suggest to you today that there's something here for all of us. And so I pray, I want to just pray right now that God will open our hearts up to hear, to see, to know how much he really cares about us. So let's just take a moment right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified and honored here. And God, that that you would help each person here today see how much you really, really love them. And God, thank you right now that, uh, that you sent Jesus to us, whose job it was to reveal you to us. So God, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear and to know you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We read in Luke chapter 15 the story of how Jesus was hanging out with sinners, sinners, people that the righteous people thought were unworthy of the attention of a great man like Jesus. I mean, Jesus, after all, was called rabbi and teacher, and he was a teacher of the law. And the Pharisees, who were the religious people of the day, they felt that anyone who calls himself rabbi should not have anything to do with those who are called sinners. And so we read at the beginning of chapter 15, uh, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you get the picture then. Jesus is hanging out with the hated people. Those who were righteous looked at people who were, who were, were sinners. And interestingly, the tax collector was included in that bunch of people. And Uh, How many know this is tax season, and uh, maybe uh, some of you owe some money, and maybe you think the tax collectors are sinners, (laughs) uh, evil people. Well, the fact is, is that Jesus took time uh, time out for them. In fact, it seems as though he was spending more time with the so-called evil people, the sinners, than he was with those who were supposed to be righteous. And this really ticked off the Pharisees. They were not happy about that. They uh, they thought that Jesus had actually disqualified himself, and really didn't have the right to teach anything from the Word of God since he was in fact welcoming sinners and eating with them. Well, today I want to talk to you about about who God is. I want you to see today that in fact there is none righteous. The Bible says not even one. In fact, if 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 we were honest, we would have to say that we belong more in the group of the tax collectors and sinners than we do in the group of the righteous. The fact of the matter is, is that so often and too often our hearts are prone to wander away from God. Too often we find ourselves distant from God. And maybe you're here today and you would say, yeah, that, that describes me. I feel like I'm a long ways away from God. I feel like my heart is not where it needs to be. Maybe for some of you, you, you know, you've gone to church for years And you try to do the right thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that the truth be known, you've lost the fire. You've lost, you've really lost the sense of joy that comes with walking with God. You might call yourself a backslider even. You might say, I'm not where I need to be. Some of you may be at that place where you've never yet fully Surrendered to God the Father and said, God, I want you to be my father and I want to serve you, I want to love you, I want to, I want to walk with you all the days of my life. Wherever you're at, maybe you've just grown cold, you, it's been a while since you prayed, a while since you read your Bible, you're just trying to keep it all together. But I want you to know today that God loves you and God is here to call you back into relationship with him. So we, we begin by talking about the prodigal son and the prodigal Father, prodigal's father. Next week, we'll talk more about the prodigal son. But today, I want to talk about the prodigal's father. By the way, what is a prodigal? A prodigal, very simply, is somebody who recklessly wastes money, somebody who is truly what you truly call a sinner. And so, here's this young man. He, uh, he's kind of, he's, he's reckless. He doesn't want to be under his father's leadership or guidance anymore. He's come to a place where he says, you know what? I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to be under the same roof as my dad. Maybe he feels like he's missing out on life. Maybe he feels like, uh, you know, it would be better if he took matters into his own hands. You know, took charge of his own life. Become the captain of his own ship. Do things his own way. Maybe he felt trapped and stifled. My life's not going anywhere. Maybe he felt like he's missing out on fun. I don't know. Um... Maybe he felt that he would be better off on his own. I don't know. Why do you, why do you slide away from God? Why do you distance yourself from God? Well, that's, that's kind of where this young man is at. He's, he says, that's it, I'm, I'm gone. So here, here's what he does. He goes to his dad, and uh, he says, Dad, you're, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my inheritance. Now, can you imagine if... Uh, if your children came to you and said, Dad, Dad, you're not dead, uh, but I want half my inheritance. Interestingly, the father, not wanting to break the relationship with his son, agrees to it, surprisingly. And he gives his son half, half, of, his, uh, half of his wealth, gives him his inheritance, because he's got another son. And um, here's a son, cold-hearted, self-centered takes the money, and runs. We see the difference between the son and the father. The son is cold-hearted. He's self-centered. He's thinking of himself. He's just rubbing his hands together. with glee. He can hardly wait to get out into the world and enjoy himself. Contrast that with the loving father, warm-hearted and totally oriented to his son. Well, the son leaves home. And while he's in a distant land, he enjoys himself with wine, women, and song. And next thing you know, he's got nothing left. He squandered all his father's wealth. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're talking about considerable wealth. Because his father, remember, is a landowner. He's got stock, livestock. He's got servants. He's a wealthy, wealthy man. So this young man would have probably in his day spent millions and millions, squandered it all. And whereas at first his money bought friendship, now he's got nothing. He's got no wealth. He's got no friends. A famine comes to the land, and he's starving. He thinks, well, what I can do is I can work for somebody. He gets a job feeding pigs. Now remember, to the Jewish people who, who do not consume pork in any way, we're talking about engaging himself in the vile, most vile of, of jobs. It was there when he was feeding out of the trough alongside the pigs. Get the picture of him just elbowing his way into the trough. You know, that's my corn husk. Get away from that corn and get away from those potato peels. Uh, I don't know what they ate back then, but you get the picture. And there he is with his head in the trough feeding with the pigs. And suddenly, the Bible says in Luke chapter um, 15, verse 17, it says, When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. Now, i want to say that this is one of the most uh, magnificent phrases in the scripture where it says, when he came to his senses. Because here's the thing. When we are not doing things God's way, when we decide to follow our own path and do things our own way, I can tell you we're out of our minds. We get ourselves into trouble. We get our lives messed up. Our marriages fall apart, our family falls apart, we, we have trouble at work, our bank account gets into trouble, our finances are in trouble, everything begins to just crumble. And sometimes God has to allow that to happen in order for him to get our attention. And maybe some of you are just there today, you just realize, you know what, <laughs> Pastor, oh, that's exactly what's happened to me. Things are not right. And in varying degrees. Some of you are really facing major catastrophe right now. Others of you feel cold. You feel like, where's the warmth gone? Where's my joy gone? I used to be a happy person. I used to have peace in my heart. Where's that gone? You see, God allows that in our lives to get our attention, to get us back on track. And that's precisely what happens to this poor young man who's lost it all. He finally comes to his senses. What will it take for you to come to your senses? How low do you have to go? How bad does it have to get? How much humiliation do you have to face? How how, how much struggle do you have to go through before you come to your senses? Some people, they would blame God. But you and I have to be honest. It's not God's fault, is it? We got ourselves into this trouble. We got us to where we're at. Now, listen, this young man comes to his senses and he finally realizes, I don't have to live like this. Maybe, just maybe, my father would accept me back. Now, my friends, here is where we see the magnificent love of God. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 to 21. It says, So he returned. Home to his father, he returned home. Ah, just the thought of going home to what's familiar. Going back to that place where he knew he was loved and cared for. That place where he felt unconditional love. When he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father... I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I want us to talk today and look at the description that Jesus gives us of our heavenly Father. The first thing we recognize is that God's waiting for us. He's waiting for you. Do you know that God waits for you daily? He waits for you to come and engage to talk to him. We we give it a fancy word, we call it prayer. But if you want to just put it in simple terms, he's waiting for you to come and talk to him. And not only that, but he's waiting for the opportunity to talk to you. Does God still speak? Oh, absolutely. He speaks through his word. He's waiting. Some of us have slidden back and it's been a long time since we've actually talked to God and let God talk to us. It's been a long time since we prayed or read our Bibles. And God's been tapping us on the shoulder and saying, what about me? Don't forget about me. Don't forget about the one who truly loves you. The father was waiting for his son. Now, remember, there's not the days of, of, of cell phones, texts. I mean, the prodigal son didn't text his dad, hey, hey Dad, going to be home soon. None of that. No emails, no phone calls, no telegrams, no nothing. His father just sat and waited and watched that, that skyline, watched the horizon, waiting for that day when his beloved, dear son would come over the, that hill. And the day came. And the father who waited and waited and waited finally saw his son. It was just a speck in the distance. He couldn't. He wasn't really 100% sure if it was his son, but he knew in his heart it must be his son. And as soon as he saw that little boy of his coming over that hill, he tucked his robe in and he, as old as he was, made a beeline for his son. He'd been waiting for a long time. I can tell you, I've got three children. If for any reason any of them ever decided they wanted to leave home, get away from me, it wouldn't be getting away from their mother, but probably getting away from me. (laughs) I can tell you, I would be on guard, watching, waiting, waiting, waiting. I would be praying every day, my heart would be set on my kids. And I'm going to tell you, as, a, as an earthly father who loves his children, as an earthly father who gets it wrong so many times, if I know how to love my kids and how to wait for them and to look for them and to adore them, how much more does your Father in heaven love you and care about you? I can remember as a teenager being out late, and trying to sneak into the house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know, uh, well, I think I get it now, but I didn't understand it then. My father could be sitting on the couch snoring after watching Gunsmoke or whatever it was he watched, but as soon as he, just it just like... small little sound. Hello? Oh, who's there? What's going on? He, I was trying to sneak in. It's impossible. You can sneak in on my dad. I know that, but he always knew where we were. Didn't tell him where we we're going, but he knew where if, I tell you, if he needed to find us, he could drive up right to the spot where we were and you just like scratch your head and how did this happen? I'll tell you, it's what fathers do. It's called love. It's, a, it's called a devotion to your children. And listen, if we as earthly fathers know how to really care for our kids, how much more does your heavenly father care for you? And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come back home. He's waiting for you to return. I want you to get something into your heart this morning. You are precious to God. You are precious to God. Would you say that with me? I am precious to God. I am precious to God. Some of you, you didn't know that. Or some of you had a vague idea of that. But I want you to note something today. That we see the love of the Father shown to the Son, not before his sinful and wicked behavior, but after. And we see the love of this Father. Would you tell a person beside you, you're precious to God? Go ahead, tell them that. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Listen, if you could understand how precious you are to God, listen to me, listen, this will radically change your relationship to God. You are loved by God not because you always do everything right. You are loved by God not because you always make the right decision. You are loved by God not because you never fail. You are loved by God because he is your father. Now let that sink into your heart. You are loved by God because he is your father and you are his daughter, his son. Some of us today have got a really bad or wrong idea of who God is because we didn't maybe have a great relationship with our earthly father, we've somehow tricked our brains into thinking that God in heaven, our father in heaven, is very much like our earthly father. I'm going to tell you this. I think, even though I think I'm a good father and I think you could ask my kids that, I can tell you that I'm nowhere near as good as my heavenly father. And your father in heaven loves you not because you get it right, but in spite of that. If you begin to understand how much the Father in heaven loves you in spite of yourself, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your relationship with him will will radically change. And suddenly, you won't be afraid of him anymore. Your Father in heaven loves you. I'm going to tell you this. Some of you think, oh, well, if I... I don't come to church, if I don't serve God, God won't miss me because there's so many millions of Christians in the world. He won't miss me. I'm just one of of millions. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that God knows you by name and he knows knows exactly how many hairs on your head there are. And for some of you, that's not difficult, but (laughs) I'm not looking at anybody. But he knows everything about you. Tony Campolo used to say that God's got this massive wallet that he carries around with you, and, and in that wallet are the picture of all his children. It's kind of a cool idea. God knows you, and you're precious to him. And when you are not in fellowship with him, I'm going to tell you it makes his heart ache. Remember, Jesus is describing to us the love the Father has for us through this analogy or through this, through, through this parable. Now, can I just tell you this this morning? I'm a father. I've got two sons and a daughter. It's Jesse, Nicholas, and Sarah. If Jesse should one day say, you know what, I'm going to leave home. Um, um, I'm done. I'm not going to say, oh, well, I've got one more son. I've got a spare, so I don't need that one. (laughs) I've got Nick. And if Nick won't stick around, well, i still got Sarah, so I'm good. I've got three at least. That's not how it works, folks. You matter to God. You're precious to him. And I'm going to tell you this. If you are far from God, here's what I know for sure. This is amazing. If you are far or distant from God, if you have not yet come to the Father, if you have not yet come to the place of surrender to the Father, I'm going to tell you this, that the Father is right now waiting for you to come home. I know that. And some of you know that. And you felt it. In fact, you felt it in your heart. You felt that tugging. You feel like, I, gotta, I really got to come and surrender my life to my Father in heaven. He's waiting for you. And uh, my heart would be absolutely broken if one of my kids decided to desert me or run from me. I'm going to tell you, that the, the, the heart of our God in heaven, of our Father in heaven, is no different. Are you breaking the heart of the Father right now? This is not a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip at all. But I want you to see how much you loved, how precious you are. And it's not based on anything you do or don't do. It's based on the fact of relationship. So we read on here. The Father is not only waiting for his son, but it says here he's filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. What a beautiful picture! Now, I know some of you are, are, are not the touchy-feely kind of people. You know, a handshake is good enough. Like a picture of Stephen Harper greeting his son after kindergarten and bending over and shaking his hand. Now that's quite quite comical. This is not the picture of God in heaven. This son's just walking home, and his dad basically just throws himself at his son, hugs him and kisses him and says, I love you so much, son. Welcome home. I'm glad you're home where you belong. I've got I to ask you this question. How inclined would you be to embrace a son or a daughter who took half your wealth and went and blew it? This father had every reason to resent his son to hate his son he could have very well rejected his son he should have rejected his son I mean after all look what that son did his son took his wealth the wealth that he built through skimping and saving and, and doing without and making sacrifices he took half the wealth and just blew it what would you do Your son took all you had and blew it. What would you do? You you skimped and saved all your life. You saved up for a nice inheritance, a nice nest egg, so that you can enjoy your retirement. Your son comes along and says, I want half the money. I don't care if you're dead or not. I want half the money. This father, his love does not change. And you need to understand that about the love of the Father in heaven because so many people have this wrong idea that God is some kind of a nasty, vengeful, wrathful God that's just ready to club us over the head because we got it wrong yet again. So many people stay away from God because they feel that they fail so much and they make so many mistakes so they say, well, I'm going to get my life together and to clean my life up and then I'm going to serve God. My friend, it doesn't work that way because the Bible says you cannot earn the love of God. In other words, you can never be good enough. But you need to understand something. We're not talking about being good enough to be a child of God. We're talking about receiving this free gift from God himself, this gift of love, where he takes you with all of your problems, with all your failings, with all your weaknesses, with all your struggles, with all your problems. He takes you just the way you are, And just picture yourself being embraced and hugged and kissed by God the Father. That's who your God is. Any other picture of God is heresy. Any other idea of God is simply not biblical. It's not true. You need to see that God is a God of love who desperately wants his lost children to come home. Jesus tells us that the reason that God sent him here to earth was for one reason. For one reason. It wasn't just to teach great sermons and to heal sick people. It wasn't just to, to, to die on the cross. It was to seek and to save what was lost. That's why Jesus came from heaven and came to this earth, to save, to find, and to save. Those sons and daughters were lost. You know, this idea of a loving heavenly father who lovingly reaches out to prodigal children is probably one of the most popular and most beloved parables in the whole scripture. In fact, if you are a bit of a uh, an art or a history buff you, you will know that throughout 2,000 years of history and literature and art that you will see that the, the story of the prodigal son is the story that is played and replayed over and over and over again. Why is that? Because it touches a cord in our heart. We we want to believe, we desperately want to believe that there's a loving Heavenly Father who will love us and embrace us, not because we get it right all the time, but in spite of the fact that we so often don't get it right all the time. I'm going to tell you this morning that God is waiting for you. And as soon as you show any signs of coming back to him and and running to him, he's going to run to you. He's going to embrace you. He's going to kiss you. He cares about you. You're precious to him. Even after we've messed things up and lost so much, even after being so self-centered, even after living for ourselves, God has deep and great compassion for us. Now, you know, here's what I know after being a pastor for 30 years, after being a Christian for almost 42 years, here's what I know. I know that there is an enemy. We call him Satan. Anybody ever hear of Satan? You know, two little kids were coming out of, out of Sunday school one day, and one kid says to the other, do you believe in the devil? He goes, Well, I think it's kind of like Santa Claus. I think it's really your dad. (laughs) Here's what makes me believe. (laughs) Here's what makes me believe in a devil. Because, by the way, do you know that Satan, it means accuser, the accuser? Here's what the devil will do to you. I know this because he's done it to me. And he tries to do it to me all the time. He's going to whisper in your ear and tell you you're a failure. You're worthless. That you failed God. There's no use trying. Give up. Quit. God doesn't exist. He's going to tell you that that you've blown it too many times. You've failed too many times. You've let God down too many times. You're a loser. You're a zero. There's nothing that can be done. So give it up and stop trying. Let the righteous people do it. You'll never be righteous. That's what Satan will do to you. And I've seen so many people's lives ruined, and that's what makes me believe in a devil. And we believe that lie, What you need to do, folks, those moments when you're feeling like you've failed and you've messed up, just tell the devil to go to hell. I know we don't normally talk like that, but I give you permission as the pastor. You tell that devil to go to hell where he belongs and you remind him what the Bible says. You are the beloved of God. You matter to God. You are precious to him. The Bible says that while you and I were still sinners, God sent his son to die for us to pay the price for your sin. That's how much God loves you. Not because you get it right, but in spite of that. What an amazing gospel. What an amazing, amazing. What an amazing truth. You and I have a loving father who cares about us. You might be here today thinking, well, I don't know. I don't know if there's any hope for me. Well, I I, I got good news for you today. That if this prodigal son who squandered so much, is there anybody here who squandered millions? I don't think so. If that father could love that son, how much more will our Father in heaven love us and embrace us and welcome us home? One of the things I said to the young people in the first service, I said, you know, many of you guys are going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to feel that you've blown it, and there's no hope for you, and you may as well turn your back on God and run away because because you failed. Don't you believe that for one minute. You run back to God over and over and over again, and know this, his arms are wide open. He's ready to embrace you and to welcome you home. That's the God that we serve. How how many times do you think he'll forgive us? 100 times, 200 times, 300 times? Well, one of the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And what did Jesus say? 70 times, 7. What he's saying basically is for the rest of your life, don't ever stop forgiving him. And if God expects us to live by that standard, I can tell you this for sure, that God lives by that standard. And God will forgive you. Now you say, well, does that mean I can live any old way I want? Well, hold on a minute here. Remember, he is a father. And one of the things that I do is I love my kids, I forgive my kids, but here's what I do. I discipline them. Because I love them. And the father will do that to you. He will discipline you. But he will never reject you. He will never hate you. He will never stop loving you. That's the kind of father we have. He values you. He ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. You don't do that to somebody you don't care about. There's nobody here this morning that I'm going to run to you, embrace you, and kiss you and fall all over you. You'd probably never come back to church again if I did that. But you do you do that for those who are precious to you, those who are who mean the world to you. That's the kind of father we have. So important is this son to this father. You know what he does right away? The son hasn't got a chance to recite his speech. You can imagine the speech he's, he's rehearsing in his brain before he gets home. When I get home to Dad, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm miserable. I've let you down. I don't deserve to work for you. His father doesn't want to hear any speeches. What he does, he interrupts his son in the middle of his, his grand speech, and he says to his sister, "Hey, go, go and get the fatted calf ready to be slaughtered. We're gonna we're gonna have this party tonight. My son's home. Get get him a robe and get him get him that signet ring that says that he's part of this family." And before the son knows what's going on, this son who's broken and weary and tired and such a failure, next thing you know, he's got a robe on his shoulders, he's got a ring on his finger, and he's sitting down to a banquet, and he's been welcomed home, part of the family. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what the Bible says about God's love for you and me. All the things that have fallen apart for you, God will restore that robe on his shoulders tells him he's, his wealth and his inheritance have been restored. That embrace and that, kid, that kiss tells him that the love has been restored to him. That, that signet ring tells him that his position as a son has been restored. The banquet tells him he's restored to the family. It's kind of the opposite of country music, isn't it? They say if you play country music backward, you get your car back, you get your van truck back, you get your wife back, your dog back. <laughs> it's kind of what country music is, right? You just lose it all and, and yodel about it. <laughs> My friends, when you come back to the Father, the Father restores you. You get your joy back. You get your peace back. You have fear in your heart. You get, you get, that's that's sent away because perfect love casts out all fear. Wow. You get your job back, you get your prosperity back, you get your wealth back, you get your finances back, get it back on track. You get your relationships restored. It all comes back together again when you come to the Father and say, "I'm I'm sorry, Father, I messed up," and the Father embraces you with all His heart. Want to know something? When Nicholas started to walk, I can tell you he did not come out of the womb walking. Hello? We had to teach him how to do that. You know, we stood him up, he started walking, he fell down. I didn't say, You stupid son of mine, duncalfs walk on the first try. <laughs> and therefore, I'm ditching you. You're no good. We'll have another child. And that's why we had Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is, we all fumble. We all fail. We all make mistakes. There's not one person here. I mean, if you just look out of the corner of your eyes at the people beside you, I can tell you they've failed. They've messed up. They've made some big mistakes. But the good news is this is we're not rejected, we're loved. And this morning I'm going to tell you this, wherever you are in the journey, it's been a long time since you've worshipped God. It's been a long time since you last went to church. It's been a long time since you last prayed or read your Bible. Maybe you're backslidden just a little bit or maybe you're far away from God. It doesn't matter. But know this today, God loves you. He's inviting you back. He's calling you back into fellowship with him. My friends, this is the gospel. This is what real Christianity is. It's about a glorious relationship between the Father and his beloved children. And I can point to all of you today to say you are his beloved children. He loves you today. Would you stand with me, please? We're gonna pray. Before we pray, I want to just share this, this one verse from Luke 15, 23, 24. The Father says, we must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I like that. So the party began. Party hardy. Listen, that's exactly it, friends. And if there's ever a reason to party, it's because those who are lost were found. Those who are dead have come back to life. I don't know where y'all are at, but I can tell you this. There's a Father waiting for you. Not with wrath, not with anger, not with vengeance, but with the deepest... Holiest kind of love that you and I cannot begin to fathom. And you are valuable. So valuable to him. So whether you have this baby been out of touch with God lately or you're far off, come back to him today. Take a moment before you leave this place and just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for losing touch. Forgive me for not being in relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for showing us through Jesus Christ how much you love us. God, we want to be in deep relationship with you. We want to walk with you. We want to know you. We want to know the benefit of living under your roof. We want to know that joy, that peace, that restoration, that wholeness, that health, that peace of mind, the right relationship. We want to enjoy the benefits of living in your house. So God, I pray today, do a work in our hearts and cause us, Lord, to humbly come to you and say sorry, even as the prodigal son did. To repent, to say, Father, forgive me. God, even as we do that, we know that you'll be running towards us to embrace us and to kiss us and to tell us how much you value us. Go with us as we go from this place, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me. Amen. Tell that person beside you you're loved by the Father. Go ahead.